0: You're listening to a message from Severe Heights. To learn more about us, go to www.severeheights.org. I'm, I'm actually not sure what to do with what we just got to experience together, other than can we just celebrate what we just got to experience one more time together? That was just so powerful, so incredible, and uh Man, that was special to be a part of. Uh, hey, my name is Tyler. I, I, just, I get the opportunity to serve as one of our pastors here on staff, specifically with our Next Generations team. And I just want to say, on behalf of the students in this room, if any one of them were up here, they would say the same thing. I just want to say thank you. Um, I just want to say thank you so much for making this weekend happen. Obviously, we got to see God move in just such an incredible, tangible, and powerful way So I just want to say thank you. Thank you for those of you who gave up your weekend to serve these students. Thank you for those of you who came and fed pizza or moved luggage or helped kids check in. Thank you for those of you who opened up your home to high schoolers. Thank you for those of you who last week grabbed a bracelet and prayed intently for a student this week. Just thank you because all of your generosity made a difference. And so I'm excited for us to spend this time together. Uh, if you've been with us the last few weeks, we've been a part of a sermon series called Unfair, What to Do When Fair Leaves Town. And this is a sermon series that our pastor's been doing, and I'm excited to kind of tie in and jump in with that this morning. And as we get started today, I just want to ask, I want you to try to empathize with somebody else for a second. I want you to try to put yourself in somebody else's shoes for just a moment. And I don't think this will be very hard for you, because chances are you've either gone through something like this or you know somebody intimately who has gone through something like this. So, so I want you to imagine for a second that you're in somebody else's shoes. Maybe, maybe you're a young couple. You're newly married. And you've been talking back and forth about, well, should we have kids? Should we not have kids? And you finally decided resolutely, hey, we don't want to be parents. That's just not the life for us. And yet less than a year into your marriage, despite your best efforts, you now find yourself expecting your first child. Or maybe you can put yourself in the shoes of a young student athlete entering their senior season, and you've put in the hard work, you've put in the time and the effort and the energy, and you're good at your sport, but the problem is that there's now a group of freshmen who are even better at that sport, and you find yourself before long riding the bench. Or maybe you can empathize with a young up and comer in an organization who just has success after success after success, promotion after promotion, and finally finds themselves in a position where they feel stuck and they feel stalled and they feel like they just don't have what it takes and success seems to be fleeting. Or perhaps building off of last week, you can empathize and put yourself in the shoes of an empty nester. Looking forward to the retirement years when suddenly, tragedy strikes your family, and you now find yourself entering into the role of parent all over again, this time with your grandkids. And in all of these instances, you can probably feel inside of you the responses that well up. Things like, I didn't ask for this. I'm not really built for this. There are others who are better suited for this. I just can't seem to get this right. I don't have what it takes. And in the English language, we have a word that sums up all of these responses, and it's a simple word, inadequacy. Inadequacy. And so the question really for us today is, what do we do when we don't have what it takes? Because as we've been exploring in this series, whenever we find ourselves in a situation, we have to reckon with the truth that God, this did not catch you. By surprise. You either arranged it or allowed it. And so, what does it look like for us to say, God, I choose to trust you in the midst of my inadequacies? And so, today, as we get started into this topic, I want to eavesdrop in on a conversation between Moses and God in Exodus chapter 3 and in Exodus chapter 4. And when we get to Exodus chapter 3, God has heard the cries of his people. He has remembered the promises that he made to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and he has now put in motion a plan to deliver his people from Egypt into the land that he has promised them. And he's going to use this guy named Moses to accomplish this purpose. And and when it comes to Moses, between Exodus chapter 2 and Exodus chapter 3, it's kind of like the tale of two different people. If there are the haves and the have-nots, Moses certainly in Exodus chapter 2 for the first 40 years of his life found himself in the category of the haves he was plucked from the Nile River and raised by the daughter of Pharaoh in the palace of Pharaoh himself he had unlimited access to education and resources the bible says that as an egyptian moses was powerful in both word and deed meaning that when moses said something it was done and when moses did something People noticed it. And so certainly you would think Moses is poised in this position for God to use him to rescue his people and bring them out of Egypt into the land that he promised them. What more could he need? And in fact, in Exodus chapter 2, we see Moses does try to act on his people's behalf. He sees somebody being mistreated, and so he lashes out against an Egyptian soldier, killing him and then burying the body. And naturally, as expected, this causes the rage of the Pharaoh and rage of the Egyptians against him, and they want to kill him. But maybe unexpectedly to Moses, it also causes the Israelites to turn on him. And they say, who are you? Who put you in charge of us? Is this what you're going to do when you're the leader of all of us? And so Moses is at a crossroads with two groups of people who do not like him, and so he decides the only thing that he can do is run. So he leaves Egypt and goes to a place called Midian, where he spends the next 40 years of his life. And for 40 years, the have becomes the have-not. He lives as a stranger among a group of outsiders. He takes on the lowly profession of a shepherd. The sheep that he's grazing out in the pasture, they don't even belong to him. And when we find him in Exodus 3, he is in the middle of nowhere, far away from any seat of power, far away from any seat of influence. And this is exactly where God decides to show up to Moses, in a burning bush of all things, And during this conversation, which spans almost two chapters, it's almost like God is going to pull back the curtain for Moses and reveal this big, blank, white canvas. And then he's going to grab a brush and just begin to paint on this canvas a picture for Moses of what the future is going to look like, a picture of hope and a picture of restoration, a picture of deliverance. And then he's going to look at Moses and say, you, Moses, are going to be the brush You're going to be the tool. You're going to be the instrument that I use to accomplish all of it. And rather than be captivated by the picture in front of him, Moses can't help but just stare down at the brush. And he can't help but see all the flaws in the brush. And he can't help but see all the imperfections and all the shortcomings of the brush. And he can't help but believe... God, there's a million other brushes who could do a way better job than me. And he can't seem to see how that picture is going to get painted by this brush. And five times in this conversation, Moses is going to say, but God, would you look at the brush? And five times in this conversation, God is going to look at Moses and say, stop looking at the brush and start looking at the one who's painting. And God is going to press in on Moses' inadequacies in three very distinct and very important ways. God is going to press into Moses using his presence, his power, and his provision. And, and so as this conversation begins to unfold, God begins in regards to his presence, and the conversation starts this way in Exodus 3. So now go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God... Who am I that I should be the one to go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Moses starts by saying, God, who am I? Do you know who you're choosing for this assignment? God, like, out of all the people you could have chosen, you chose me? And at first glance, I kind of got to say, I kind of agree with Moses. Because here's the thing. It's not like Moses was a nobody. That would actually be better if, if God sent a nobody into Egypt. You see, Moses wasn't a nobody. He was kind of a known commodity. Remember, he killed an Egyptian soldier, so the Egyptians hated him. And the Israelites, they didn't feel much better about him. Not to mention, it's now been 40 years since he left that place. So how in the world could he step back into it and expect anybody to take him seriously at all? So he says, God, who who am I? And I love that God in his response, he doesn't even answer that question and yet he tells Moses everything he needs to hear. He says this in Exodus 3.12, I will be with you. And this is a sign That it's I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. God knows in this moment, the best thing for Moses, it isn't a pep talk, it isn't a pump up speech, it isn't a list of all the qualifications that make him uniquely qualified for this job. The very best thing that Moses needs to understand is that I am with you. And so the conversation continues in the same vein. Exodus 3, 13, he says, well, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask, what's his name? What should I tell them? In other words, God, okay, who am I? But but God, who are you? Like, who are you that's sending me? I need to know a little bit more about this before I just go. How am I gonna explain this? And God says to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you're to say to the Israelites. Tell them that I am has sent me to you. Now, now there are entire books written about that one single sentence, I am who I am, and all the meaning that's packed into it. And it's way too big of a topic for just this message. But there is one part about that response that I really want us to see Because as God is saying, I am who I am, it could also be translated into, I will be who I will be. And what he is stating is something about his existence, something about his being, that he was and he is and he is to come and he is unchanging, And he says this again, just a verse later. He says, say to the Israelites, the Lord of your God, the fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, God of Jacob, they have sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. He wants Moses to understand the God who was, the God who is, the God who will be is the God who is going with you and who is with you now. And so for us, And our inadequacies, what what does this mean? And I think it's important to note that God was not telling Moses something that wasn't already true. He wasn't saying, Moses, I will be with you because I'm not already with you. Instead, he was reminding Moses of this ever-present, always-true reality that I am with you. And inadequacy in our life has this tendency to shrink our view from what's up there and what's going on out there down to just what's going on right here. And it's almost like inadequacy puts these blinders on us that shroud the world around us, and it can keep us from experiencing and realizing the very presence of God at work in our lives. And so the very first place that God is going to speak into inadequacy is by reminding us, I am with you and you might be here today and you might say you know what tyler that's great i'm with you i get it but it sure doesn't feel that way like, like, I wish God's presence worked a little bit differently. I wish it was a little bit more real, a little bit more tangible. I wish that he would show up specifically and he would fix this. I wish he would show up specifically and take this away or help me be stronger in this or help give me a clear path through this. And I would say to you, and I would say to myself, God may feel absent in all the ways you desire, But he is present in every single way that you require. It may feel like God is absent in some of the ways that you want him to show up, in some of the ways that you want to feel his presence, in some of the ways you want him to make himself abundantly clear to you. But do not mistake that with believing that he is not with you in every single way that you need. And the reason we can say that is that song that we just sang together because the same God who showed up to Moses not to change his circumstances, not to take him out of his circumstances, but to be there with him in his circumstances is the same God who is here with me and you right now and he has not changed. So God begins speaking into Moses and his inadequacies through his presence. And then as the conversation continues, he shifts gears to begin to talk about his power. Look what it says in Exodus 4. Moses asks, what if they don't believe me? What if they don't listen to me? What if they say, the Lord did not appear to you? And and notice here that, that Moses doesn't say, what if they don't believe you, God? He says, what if they don't believe me? And again, Moses is staring down at the brush he's wondering, do I have the ability? Do I have the power? What if I don't have the capability to convince them? And we see that it's one thing to understand that God is with you, and it's another thing altogether to believe that God can actually work through you. And so God is going to freak in and press in on Moses in this regard, and he's going to tell Moses, okay, there's going to be three signs that you're going to perform First one is this, you're going to take your staff and you're going to throw it on the ground. It'll turn into a snake and you'll pick it up and it'll be a staff. The second is with your hand. It's going to appear diseased and leprous and all of a sudden it'll be healed. And the third is, is with water from the Nile that when dropped on the ground will turn into blood. And what do these three seemingly random things have in common? Well, not one of them required even an ounce of strength or power or ability that originated from Moses. It it was not as if Moses was just doing his best and then God was coming in and filling the gaps and tidying things up. No, this was God completely taking over and working through Moses to make this happen. And, And so Moses is saying, what if I don't have the ability? What if I don't have the power? And God is saying, you don't, and that's what I'm counting on. Because God wanted to work through Moses in such a way that it was unmistakable to the Egyptians and to the Israelites who was responsible. He was saying, Moses, my power is going to be the thing that does the heavy lifting, not your power. And for us, it's, it's a humbling thought for sure that God will allow us to be put into situations where our power simply will not be enough. And I think the reason is, is because God is concerned not concerned with people seeing us. He's concerned with people seeing him. It's an opportunity for our lives to point to something far, far, far greater, far bigger. That, That in your successes, your life might be a sign that points to the power of God working in you. And in your failures, your life might be a sign that points to the power of God's grace working in you. But either way, it's about people seeing him. It's not about people seeing us. So he presses in on the issue of his presence, on the issue of his power. And as the conversation nears its conclusion, he presses in on the issue of his provision. Moses says this in Exodus 4.10. Pardon your servant, Lord. I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you've spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech and tongue. And there's a lot of translations. There's a lot of uh, interpretations of what this means. I prefer the one that's right there on the surface. Moses is saying, "Hey, hey, God, I, I don't talk well, and so here's what God says in response: Who gave humans their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight to, and makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. I'll help you speak, and I'll teach you what to say." And God establishes Himself in this moment as the provider and the giver of everything that Moses has. Moses is saying to God, "God." I, I don't speak well. And God's saying, don't you think I know that? Moses, don't don't you realize who I am? Don't you realize that I'm the one who made you? I'm the one who created you? That everything you have is because of me? The things you have and the things that you don't have? Moses, don't you know? And, And really underpinning all of that is a question that Moses needed to answer on the inside. And it's this question, who is a better judge as to whether I have everything I need Is it me or is it God? And I would say that question is incredibly relevant for you and I as well. Who's the better judge, me or God? Because you will find that your answer to that question will profoundly shape the way that you view God. And it will profoundly shape the way that you view yourself. And it will profoundly shape the way that you view the world around you. And your circumstances may not change even a little bit. But your answer to that question has the power to dictate everything about how you view those circumstances. So, who's the better judge? Is it me or is it God? And finally, at the end of the encounter, Moses, seemingly out of excuses, he just cut straight to the point Pardon your servant, Lord please send somebody else. Like, God, I, I, I've heard about it. I've heard about your presence. I've heard about your power. Now I've heard about your provision. But God, surely there are a million other people who are better suited for this job. Just send one of them and leave me out of it. And at the root of what Moses is feeling, it's comparison. And there could be entire sermons about comparison, and there are, but, but let me just say this today on behalf of of Moses' reaction. I believe that God is writing a story in your life. And I believe that God is writing a story in my life. And if God wanted my story to be your story, he would have made me you. And if he wanted your story to be my story, he would have made you me, but he didn't. And the only thing that comparison is going to do, it's going to breed deeper and more destructive, and more harmful levels of inadequacy than we already have inside of ourselves. And if we're not careful, we'll spend so much time looking at the stories of other people in envy that by the time we get to the end of our own story, we'll have nothing but regret looking back, just wishing that we could have found some joy in our own story. And as I think about this encounter on a whole, The thing about it is Moses really was partially right. He he really was partially right. Moses was flawed. He was inadequate. He did properly understand his smallness. The problem is that God did not want him to stop there. God did not want Moses just to see his smallness and that's it. God wanted Moses to also see God's bigness. And I believe... That God will show us our smallness so that we will look up and see his bigness. God wants us to see our smallness. He wants us to know our inadequacies, but not so that they put blinders on us, not so that we stay fixated and captivated by it, not so that we're staring at the brush, but that we would look up and we would see how big God really is because he wants us to experience his presence, his power, and his provision. These were the things that Moses needed to see more than anything else. And I believe these are the things that you and I need to see more than anything else as well. And like we've said, the same God who spoke to Moses is the same God who has spoken to us. And what Moses did not know then, what Moses could not have known then, was that his life, his role as the deliverer of God's people was going to be pointing to something far in the future. It was going to be pointing to another deliverer who was gonna come for his people. And this deliverer would have no inadequacies. This deliverer would have no flaws. This deliverer would have no imperfections. And this Jesus would be the perfect embodiment of God's presence, of God's power, and God's provision. Just, Just think about it. Jesus was God's presence from heaven to earth to live amongst his creation, to empathize and understand what it's like to be human. He was God's power, living a perfect and sinless and blameless life and defeating sin and death on a cross. And he was God's provision, making a way where there was no other way through his death and through his resurrection. So now we, in all of our inadequacies and all of our sin and all of our imperfections, can turn to him and say, I choose to trust you. And we can have hope for a future. You see, God speaks loudly and clearly through Jesus. And he has spoken loudly and clearly about the inadequacies in your life and in my life through Jesus. And so God has spoken it. So now the question for us is, what do we do with it? And I can't help but notice that in that story, Moses spent all of his time preaching his shortcomings to God. God. Meanwhile, God spent all of his time preaching himself to Moses. And so for us, rather than preach our shortcomings to God, what would it look like to preach God to our shortcomings? Rather than just telling God about all the inadequacies that we have, which, by the way, he already knows them, what if our energy wouldn't be better spent preaching what God has already said down into our shortcomings. In the moments where we say, you know what, I didn't ask for this. I'm not really built for this. There are others who are better for this. I just can't seem to get it right. I just don't have what it takes. Rather than just simply telling God all about why we can't, or why it's useless to try, or why the situation we're in is unfair, which, by the way, all of those things have their place. We should be honest with God But rather than it just stopping there, what would it look like for us to instead preach God into our inadequacies, into our shortcomings, and let it transform us from the inside out? And it may sound subtle. It may sound small, even. But this is how the Apostle Paul continued to manage through a deep season of pain and weakness. 2 Corinthians 12 9 through 10 says it this way, Paul, just getting done telling us about this thorn in his side that's causing him nothing but weakness, nothing but anguish, nothing but pain. It's just slowing him down, and he's well acquainted with his inadequacies and his flaws and his weakness. He says this, but God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, and my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, that is why, that is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in my weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, and in difficulties, for when I am weak, I know that he is strong. And Paul is writing this for us. He's preaching it out loud to others, but I have to believe that he's also preaching it into his own life, into his own heart, into his own frailty. So let's look how he does it. He starts with a truth, a truth about God. He said, God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. He's saying, this came straight from the mouth of God, so I know it's true and I know it's trustworthy. He starts with a truth that then impacts his circumstances. He says, because this is true, here's what I'm going to do about it. I'm going to boast in my weaknesses so the power of Christ may rest on me. And we see that it starts with a truth that impacts his circumstances and helps shape his identity moving forward. He says, moving forward, I will know that when I am weak, I am strong because he is strong. So what would it look like for us to preach God into our inadequacies? Well, well, maybe it might look like what Paul did. It starts with a truth that impacts our circumstances, that we let shape our identity. You might say, I don't know what to say to this person in this moment. I don't have the words. So start with the truth. God, you speak with authority. That impacts your circumstances. So God, right now in this moment, I'm inviting you in to give me the words to say because I don't have them that help shape your identity for the future. Because God, I know that when I'm at a loss for words, you have the perfect words. That's my identity. That's You might say, somebody else would be better suited for this than me. So a truth might be, hey, God, I know that you created me for good works. So show up in my life right now and show me what those good works are. Because, God, my identity is that I'm going to let you direct my paths and direct my steps. You might say, God, I don't have the patience to handle this situation. Well, the truth is, Jesus, you've been abundantly patient with me. So I need your patience to work in me and through me right now because mine is not going to cut it. Because, God, my identity is I know that my patience does not come from within. It comes from you. And this is just how Paul chose to do it. And I don't think the formula for how he did it is nearly as important as the fact that he did it. He had some sort of mechanism in his life that got his heart's attention when his mind and his attention was going here. He had something in his life that helped get his attention back out onto God and the bigness of God's presence, of God's power, and God's provision. And so back to the question from the very beginning, what do we do when you and I do not have what it takes? And I believe the answer to that is that we preach to ourselves a God who does have what it takes, and a God who has already spoken on this loudly and clearly. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you for today. I thank you for this space, a space of worship and celebration, a space of your presence and your power and your provision all wrapped up in one right here in this moment, God. I'm thankful for getting to see people pass from death to life today. But God, I also recognize that we all bring baggage into this place. And God, I'm, I'm forced to wrestle with my own inadequacy on a daily basis. Walking up the stairs onto this stage, I felt it. And God, I'm sure that there are people in this room who are crushed by it right now. They can't help but just stare down at the brush saying, God, there's no way. There's no way. There's no way. And God, I pray right now that you would just invade our hearts and our minds with your perfect presence, your perfect power, your perfect provision. And God, instead of just us bringing our inadequacies to you, God, I pray that we would bring you into our inadequacies, that we would preach to our our hearts every single day who you are and what you have done for us, and that God, it would impact how we live on a day-to-day basis. So God, next time we're feeling it, God, I pray we would invite you in. Thank you for this time and the space that we get to do that today. We love you and we thank you and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.